0: Binge Mode is presented by Universal Orlando Resort. No matter what time of year you visit, you'll find exciting events to make your vacation
1: more epic. In the spring, experience Universal's Mardi Gras, Florida's biggest party. Enjoy parades each night, and on select nights, you can catch some of the biggest names in music live in concert. In the fall, nightmares rule
0: the darkness. Wonderful. <laughs> At Universal Orlando's Halloween Horror nights where houses drawn from the greatest horror stories
1: chill the bravest souls. Then put a little mischief in your merry when Universal Orlando unwraps a resort-wide celebration. You've never had a holiday like this.
0: I believe it. Go to www.universalorlando.com to plan your visit today. Warning, binge mode contains adult content.
1: The entrance to the Chamber of Secrets can be summed up thusly. You trying to find the pipe out of which the snake (laughs) comes? (laughs) So if that's not your thing, please listen to The Watch. One more warning,
0: binge mode contains spoilers. If you don't yet know why people have been shrieking, how dare you steal that car? Bed's empty. <laughs> no note. <laughs> <laughs> in their best Julie Walters voice for the past
1: 15 yeah. years.
0: Please proceed with extreme caution.
1: Get at me, Julie. And now, binge mode. Why then did the sorting hat place you in Gryffindor? Because I asked it to. Exactly, Harry, exactly. Which makes you different from Voldemort. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are, it is our choices.
0: to Binge Mode Harry Potter. Yes. (laughs) I'm Mallory Rubin, executive editor of TheRinger.com. What a great website. Fabulous website. Joining me today, now that he's finished asking why it couldn't be Follow the Butterflies. Why? It's Ringer staff writer,
1: your headmaster, Jason Concepcion. Why spiders, Mel? Why? Why not just Binge Mode Harry Potter? We're every freaking day, we're exploring every <laughs> facet of the Harry Potter universe. Whether you're a creature or a water goblet or a hybrid thereof, like the rat tail, Fears please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us five points, five stars for binge mode only. Please feel free to also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, aka the underscore. And why don't you join our Facebook group? Do it. Which is only for Binge Mode fans and which is a great place to trade tips for getting that slug vomit stain off your robe. Tough it's stuff. Disgusting.
0: Yesterday on Binge Mode Harry Potter, we concluded our discussion of the Chamber of Secrets book by exploring how revelations shape chapters 15 through 18 yes. of the second installment in the Harry Potter series. And on today's episode, we're diving deep. Deep! Into the film adaptation mm. of Chamber. If you've listened to our Four Chamber Book Podcast, you'll notice a touch of overlap. You know, yeah. we are ultimately discussing the same plot in the book and the movie episodes, but we're trying here, just like we did with Sorcerer's Stone, to examine the movie through a bit of a different lens. So That's hopefully right. this feels fresh for you. Requisite spoiler warning for today's binge, as always. While the mm. Chamber film is today's primary focus, That's right. we will be going deep on deep. details from all seven books and eight movies and the wider Potter canon. Taking the entire series into account from the moment the wampin' willow begins to fight back. So fetch your least competent teacher.
1: (laughs) So many to choose from. (laughs) So many. No shortage of options.
0: Meet us in the out-of-order bathroom, because it's time to make and meet some memories. Jason. Yeah. I'm so sorry. It's my nephew. He's very disturbed. It's
1: fine, Vernon. Where are those drills at?
0: Meeting strangers upsets him, and only one thing soothes him. What is it? Plot. (laughs) So let's offer up a brief, and I mean very, very brief, because we have a lot to get to today. Refresher on what actually happens in the Chamber of Secrets movie by climbing aboard this scarlet steam engine of plot, the Hogwarts Express.
1: Choo-choo! After his first year at Hogwarts, Harry spends a lonely summer at the Dursleys back at number four Privet Drive. One day, a strange creature appears in his bedroom. His name is Dobby, and he's a house elf. He's been intercepting Hermione and Ron's letters to Harry in an attempt to dissuade Potter from returning to Hogwarts. Something dangerous will unfold if Harry goes back, Dobby warns. Despite various obstacles, Harry, with Ron's help, does manage to get to school using the Weasleys' family flying car. Once at school, Harry, Ron, and Hermione become enmeshed in an ominous mystery. Someone has opened the Chamber of Secrets, the ancient hideaway of Salazar Slytherin, one of the original founders of Hogwarts. The monster lurking within has been released. Students are being attacked, and threatening graffiti is appearing on the walls. Who is behind it? And does the mysterious diary Harry finds play a role? Yes. (laughs) When Hermione falls to the unknown creature, it's up to Harry and Ron to discover the truth. Dun-dun-dun-dun! Mal, yeah, Dumbledore's been driven out of this podcast studio by the mere memory of me. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's dive into the pensive to sift through our thoughts. What a nightmare. The defining theme <laughs> of the Chamber of Secrets movie is Ghosts of the Past.
0: In Sorcerer's Stone, Young Harry Potter discovered a new world, a new life, new possibilities. For the first time since his parents died, he had friends, he had a family, he had purpose. But in this story, as in life itself, there is no full, true escape from the demons in one's past. And so when the film version of Chamber of Secrets opens, Harry is back in his childhood prison at number four Privet Drive, deprived of the people, places, and things. That had so drastically improved his life. Mm. Hedwig,
1: dear sweet Hedwig, protect Hedwig, is locked in her cage. Can we just aside for a second? That cage is fucking tiny for that size owl Way And too I was small. Constantly disturbed by it every time I saw it. Way too small. Especially the scene where they ram into the barrier. Yeah. And it appears that a real owl is in that cage, and the cage goes tumbling to the ground. And I was like, I did not like this. It's a very upsetting movie. It's upsetting. From a Hedwig
0: perspective. Locked in her cage.
1: Hugely upsetting. Takes the brunt of the barrier crash of
0: Platform 9 and Really quarters. a lot of it. Part of the Whomping Willow crash. Awful. Harry then, after that, leaves her on a bunch of luggage and is literally like, see you later, Hedwig. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's in the middle of the chaos and carnage when Harry's dormitory no. is turned
1: over. That cage is so small. Awful. Yeah. Anyway, Awful. Sorry, poor Hedwig. Continue. Protect Hedwig. Harry, be a better pet owner. Please, get a bigger cage for her. She's a large owl.
0: <laughs> she's like probably a foot tall. Get a bigger cage. In addition to Hedwig being locked in her too small cage, Harry also is in a cage of his own because he sorry. hasn't heard from his friends. He hasn't heard from Ron, Ryan, Haggard, or anyone else at Hogwarts all summer. And the Dursleys, who are preparing to welcome dinner guests for a Vernon drill pitch, consign <laughs> Harry to his room, where he is instructed to remain so silent that his sheer existence is masked.
1: Then comes the Dobster. The Dobbinator. Dobby <laughs> Harry Potter! Dobby's shocking appearance can't even serve as a break from the monotony of Harry's existence because it is so ominous, so full of foreboding. Remember, Harry has no idea what a house elf is. He may not even know about apparating. What is this creature? Who does Dobby serve? Why is he saying that Harry can't go back to Hogwarts, which is a thing... That Harry does not want to hear. That's the last thing that Harry would want to hear. Harry Potter must not return. There's still so much about the magical world that Harry doesn't know or understand. And actually, that serves as a huge communication gap between Dobby and Harry. Even after Dobby reveals that he's been holding Harry's letters from Ron and Hermione and Hagrid and company and threatens to smash Aunt Petunia's beautiful violet pudding, Harry stands his ground. Hogwarts is my home. No punishment that Dursley's unleash. no threat can outweigh the idea of not going back to the one place where Harry feels at home, feels like he has a place, Hogwarts. In
0: the film, Harry does not receive a warning from the Ministry for Misuse of Magic, but he does get bars on his bedroom window. He is literally trapped in his past life until he wakes one night to the hum of a motor, headlight beams playing across his face. Three redheads staring into his bedroom window. Ron, Fred. Hello. <laughs> Not the one he'd you? like to see. I know right <laughs> Ron, Fred, and George have flown their father's Fort Anglia to Surrey and back. They're there to rescue Harry. And in crackling voices, Ron and Harry compare notes on hitting puberty right before filming and then oh, escape. Man. Tough. <laughs>
1: They both look 45 years older and their voices are like... (laughs) It's legitimately shocking when you see Harry sitting at his desk through the window. You're like, oh my God. And then when Ron first (laughs) speaks, it's like... Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Bran Stark between seasons like two and three level, you know, but it is yeah. like legitimately like, oh my God, what has happened to you? When
0: Bran went from being on an AAU team <laughs> to being in his 20th year in the NBA. <laughs> yeah.
1: Legitimately being six foot seven and almost as tall as like Hodor. Wild.
0: That's a big man. That's a big man.
1: Giant's blood if I'm the queen. <laughs>
0: They escape from Vernon's wails and clutches, and when they arrive
1: at the burrow, the MILF herself greets them. She's looking good in that robe, that kind of like, what'd you call that? It's kind of like a cotton kimono, (laughs) kind of with like this embroidery on it. Where have you been? Harry, how wonderful to see you, dear. Beds are empty. No note. Car gone. You could have died. You could have been seen. Of course I don't blame you, Harry. Mr. Weasley doesn't really blame any of them when he gets home. My dude is too tired. He's exhausted from a long day at the ministry. (laughs) (laughs) And Harry, first of all, strange that he has never been introduced to Harry before. Like, that was mildly weird.
0: Like, didn't know about his
1: job.
0: (laughs) What did Harry and Ron talk about for a year?
1: Yeah. Just candy. Yeah, I don't know. So, Molly's, like, informs him of all the stuff that's going on. And I gotta say, Arthur is mildly impressed. He's like, did you really? But his introduction to Harry brings an element of genuine wonder. Good Lord, Mr. Weasley replies after Harry says his name. Are you really? For us, Harry is no longer an idea. He's a real boy with flaws and dreams and... And to many, he's still a bold font name, a celebrity more than a real flesh and blood person. Mr. Weasley will come to be a hugely important figure in Harry's life, not big enough to like break him off any cash to help <laughs> fix up the bro, but still. <laughs> Mr. Weasley and the Weasley family at large will come to treat Harry like he's part of their family. But even Arthur can't help but respond with shock when he finally gazes upon this figure of legend. To some extent, what happened to Harry when he was a baby will always define him.
0: The Hogwarts letters arrive and Percy, you know, tousle headed Yeah. Hair sunder from uh, all his bedroom some prefect things. badge polishing. Polishing that. No one has time to brush his hair. <laughs> Too busy brushing something else. The shine on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> polish. And he disseminates the letters. Ah, it's time to head to Diagon Alley. The Weasley family, <laughs> they don't need Haggard to guide them like Harry did last year. They're traveling via flu powder. But again, our guy Harry, he doesn't know what this is. Yeah. He is still discovering so much about the wizarding world, and not all of what he's finding out <laughs> is good. What did he say?
1: Diagonally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when he misspeaks, he winds up in Borgen and Burke's in Nocturne Alley. Broken glasses on his face, soot head to toe. Regrettably, the film cuts out the conversation between Lucius and Draco and Borgen that Harry overhears in the book, but even absent that eavesdropping, Harry's Brief jaunt around the shop is still a reminder for us that dark artifacts, like the Hand of Glory, which we get a glimpse of, and dark intentions exist around every corner, including right. corners in Diagon Alley, a location that for Harry and us alike had to this point been one of wonder, an emblem of magical awakenings and possibility. Now even a place like this can harbor darkness? Uh-oh.
1: Yeah. I love that literally everyone is, like, bat. <laughs> it's like, as soon as Harry shows up, they're like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> When Harry makes it to Flourish and Blotts, where Molly and the Weasleys <laughs> are already standing in line, I love that they were not even looking for him. They're just like, yeah, but also pretending to care what happened to Harry. Kildare Lockhart, hello. A Pop and Jay of the highest order spots Harry and pulls him into a photo op. Draco Malfoy is ensuing famous Harry Potter. The way he spits out Potter, I love the way inc- he says, clipped, shop. so clipped, bookshop. <laughs> famous Harry Potter. Can't even go into a bookstore without making the first page. That is so rude, but also not misplaced, really. Harry is a famous name. Making a new name for himself doesn't change that. If anything, it makes it worse. And there are many, like Lockhart, hello, hello, hello who are all too glad to use Harry as a prop and or a tool to kind of wave ride on the shine that Harry exudes to use it for their own. Different kind of shine than the one on Percy's prefect, yeah, bed. Definitely, definitely. That Different one's a more of, of a moist, a glisten. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Hello. Read all about it in my autobiography, Magical Me.
0: <laughs> Lucius Malfoy's arrival at Flourish and Blots provides us with instant clarity here. Ah, so this is where Draco gets it. Draco is
1: his father's son. From the bleached hair... Yeah, terrible. ...to the bigoted views... Like just the way he like you know, he's got that serpent headed mm-hmm. cane yeah. and a wand holster. Don't touch me with the head of the cane. You know what I gently, mean? Like
0: don't gently caress I, my scar with the head of the cane. Why are
1: you doing I'm sorry, but like And that's happening after he he kinda does the Trump style He pulls him in. Power pull handshake. And then he like brushes his hair aside with the head of the cane. Let me just say one thing else. Adults, can you step up when you see something like this happen? Why are you letting this guy it's aggressive Listen, and threatening. No safer place than Flourish and blots, except maybe Gringotts, <laughs> except maybe Hogwarts. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> Literally hide your children, people. Yeah. Lucius proceeds to mercilessly shred Hermione, Ron, and their families. And when Arthur arrives, Lucius does not balk. He's not like, oh, now if another adult is here, I better behave. No, no, no. He doubles down. What's the use, he wonders aloud, while handling... Ginny's secondhand books and, as we'll eventually learn, slipping the diary into her cauldron stack, of being a disgrace to the name of wizard if they don't even pay you well for it. Maybe Draco Malfoy was born rotten. The eternal nature versus nurture debate. Or maybe he never stood a chance of being anything but rotten. Of actually being a decent person, given who he was raised by given the sins of the father that fill his house and have populated his mind.
1: Put them all in jail. Put them all in man. I don't care. Sins of the whatever. I'm done with this family. Speaking of sins of the father, by the way, Mr. Weasley really shouldn't have bewitched that car because his youngest son is apparently a moron. I will say. The car. So, as we know, Harry and Ron head for Platform 9 and 3 quarters, find that it has mysteriously sealed itself, they ram into it at great speed, terrorizing poor Hedwig, causing Harry and Ron to miss the Hogwarts Express, and they go for the least logical solution, steal the car, the Ford Anglia, and in broad daylight, fly away in front of all the muggles of London.
0: I like how Harry waits till they're in the air to say, I should tell you, muggles yeah. aren't accustomed. Oh my It's God. like, maybe mention that before you're off the ground and or don't get in the car in the
1: first place. This doesn't help Harry standing with Snape and Filch, no. particularly after they crash the Anglia into the rare, Womping willow. Again, poor Hedwig, Tuss flapping stuff. her little wings in that tiny little cage. Look at my wand. What about this fucking living owl? Be grateful it's not your neck. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Just as Harry's starting to realize that, yet again, someone is after him, early in year one, remember, murder attempt mid-quidditch match, year two, the barrier ceiling, It's an improvement. It actually is an improvement. This is more of a prank and less of a, like, I tried to assassinate (laughs) you in front of the school. Things are looking up for our guy. Filch corners them with a gleeful, oh, dear, we are in trouble. (laughs) Takes them to Snape, who lambastes them. Oh, man. Quite fairly, we should say, for risking the exposure of our world. When Harry discovered that he was a wizard, he couldn't believe that an entire community, an entire way of life existed just hidden from view, just underneath the world that he knows. Now that he's part of that community, he needs to recalibrate. He needs to keep that secret. The muggle world, the world from his past, is the one that he has to hide from.
0: When Minerva Magali and McGonagall enters Snape's office. Triple M. Triple M. Is that her wrestling name? Yeah. I love it. Is that Triple M's music? (laughs) Her mouth, the line of her mouth, is as thin as only the mouth of a person contemplating the loss of a year's salary if her star seeker gets suspended can be. And when Ron says, okay, we'll go get our stuff. You know, surely they're about to be expelled. She responds, not today, Mr. Weasley. Left unsaid? Not today. Goblins are going to repo my home (laughs) (laughs) if I don't pay off my gambling debts, and I can't pay them off unless Gryffindor beats Slytherin in the upcoming match. So Potter's got to stay, and I guess you
1: might as well, too. Man, goblins... You don't want to go into debt with goblins. Now just ask Ludo-literal Bagman Bagman. Just ask freaking Godric Gryffindor, who the goblins are still like, yo, that's our sword. (laughs) After like a thousand years. (laughs) (laughs) The opening weeks of the term are full of embarrassment and intrigue. Screaming lethal mandrakes make Neville faint. Man, can we get the earmuffs all the way over the ear, Neville? You gotta give me some Seamus voice action here. (laughs) No, ma'am. He's just fainted. A chatterbox named Colin Creevy wants to be Harry's personal pap. Mrs. Weasley's howler mortifies Ron in front of the entire school.
0: That's a howler! That's another, that another, Seamus? another great Seamus <laughs> another great Look, everyone, ge- Weasley's got himself a howler. Well,
1: Seamus came in for like a half a day, dropped a couple <laughs> bangers, and was out. That's it. And Gilroy Lockhart's first Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson is a unmitigated disaster. Actually, here's Seamus again. Oh a carnage Surrounded by his own image, including an incredible painting love of himself painting himself. <laughs> M.C. Escher. Take that, my guy. Truly a legendary flex from Lockhart. <laughs> this blustering pretty boy allows chaos to ensue in his first lesson. Neville, why is it always me? Narrator, when Voldemort marked his equal, it wasn't. <laughs> Again, thank God that it wasn't Neville. No shots against Neville who comes through in the end. Mm-hmm. But, Neville, like, just, you know, slow to blossom. I'll say that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) nearly dies 50 times in the
1: first couple stories. Last year, a would-be murderer with Lord Voldemort's head (laughs) sticking out of his head taught this absolutely vital subject. Now, a man who appears to care more about curling his hair and talking about his accolades is also— Beautiful finery, beautiful clothing. Very well-dressed. Harry has been in danger since the moment Voldemort attempted to destroy him all those years ago. Even at Hogwarts. No place safer, guys. (laughs) No place. He's been targeted and nearly killed. How can he hope to defend himself against the terrors that have haunted him and will continue to haunt him with this phony at the lectern? It's going to be tough. Very tough. Don't
0: worry. Lupin cannot arrive soon enough. Harry's past does include at least some good memories. Namely, receiving his illegal benefits Nimbus 2000 broom from oh, Yeah. Crushing it on the Quidditch pitch. But nothing gold can stay, even Quidditch. And when Harry and his fellow Gryffindors head out to the pitch for practice, they meet the Slytherins, armed with their new seeker, Draco Malfoy, and the seven pristine Nimbus 2001s that his father, Buddy Garrity Malfoy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Has boosted for the team. Hello. Hermione and Ron never wants to miss a scrap. Run over to see what all the fuss is about. And Hermione rightly notes that no one had to buy their way onto the Gryffindor team. And Draco's retort is unambiguously a slur. It's hate speech. He says, no one asked your opinion, you filthy little mudblood. And spits out that last word. This is also a reminder that the prejudices that are passed down in the wizarding world often center... On blood status, when Harry and Hermione walk Ron over to Hagrid's for help with the slugs that Ron is belching up after his eat slugs jinx attempt backfired due to the (laughs) wand that he busted in the Wamping Willow crash, Hermione clarifies that, quote, mudblood's a really foul name for someone who's muggle-born. And then Hagrid explains that some wizard families think they're better than others because they're purebloods. We have already seen this A few times in the story, we saw this when Draco gave Harry his whole, join my gang, some wizarding families are better than others, pitch in year one. We heard this from Lucius to Arthur and to Hermione about her family earlier in this story. And we'll see it again time and time again across the series in books and films alike. The sin of the past is too dark of a stain to wash away in this respect. For characters like the Malfoys, this kind of hatred, this kind of bigotry, it's in their very
1: souls. In detention with Lockhart, Harry begins to hear a voice. Come to me. Come to me. Blood. I smell blood. Let me rip you. Let me choke you. (laughs) Harry's like, oh, shit. Lockhart doesn't hear it. And what could it mean? Harry has grown accustomed to being different, of course, to feeling and seeming strange, even in this new and strange community. But this is something else. This is something alarming. Even this, in such a strange new world, is too strange to contemplate. He's used to people gawking at him, celebrating at him, judging at him, thinking that they know him. This is something else. Why can he hear a voice that no one else can? When he runs it to Ron and Hermione... They can't hear it either. And, of course, those are the two people that he could trust to even mention this. They reach a corridor covered in water and see spiders scurrying away in an unusually linear fashion. Then, in the water's reflection, they spy a message. The chamber of secrets has been opened. Enemies of the air beware. And there they see Mrs. Norris, Filch's cat, hanging by her tail from a torch bracket As the other students pour into the hallway to see the scene, Draco, delighted, shouts, you'll be next,
0: mudbloods. Again, always just astonished by how often in this massive sprawling castle people end up in exactly the same place. Yes.
1: (laughs) Also just continually shocked that in a story with so many characters who care about Fighting bigotry. No one's ever like, hey, don't do that, right. kid. Yeah. Stop. Cut that out. Cut that out. That's wrong. Filter Ives takes in the horrible scene and threatens to literally murder Harry. It's okay. This like will, actually. Like actually do it. It's okay. <laughs> this is only the first murder threat. Slash attempted murder of Harry in this this is the giant gen- adult gentle, calm one <laughs> right actually <laughs> by an adult in it's just our a story. promise,
0: not an actual attempt <laughs> right.
1: right, yeah, it's like well we'll get we'll get to that in time, anyway, Dumbledore sends everyone to their dormitories, except our three friends. He informs them that Mrs. Norris is not dead, but petrified when Snape swoops in to ask, Hey, uh, that's great and all, but why were you not at the feast? Everyone notices. Hermione's suspiciously timed pause. No one wants to say that Harry heard a voice. On their way back to the dormitory, Harry asks Ron and Hermione if they think they should have told Dumbledore and company what he heard. Ron and Hermione agree. Even in the wizarding world, hearing voices isn't a good sign, Ron says. Sadly, the magical world is no different from the real world in this respect. Too often, people will look to warp and corrupt information about a person when that information seems out of the ordinary troubling. Anything you share in the present can turn into a ghost of the past that haunts you for the rest of your life. Later in class, Hermione asks Professor McGonagall, McGallion about the chamber. Hey, Smarty Pants, it's called the Chamber of Secrets, not the Chamber of Tell Everyone About It. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because this is a movie, we got to keep it moving. McGallion gives up the goods and unspools the tale of the four iconic founders of the school, Godric Gryffindor, Helga Hufflepuff, Rowena Ravenclaw, and Salazar Slytherin. The four coexisted for a time, united by their desire to see future generations of wizards and witches properly educated. Slytherin, however, diverged from his fellows on the question of who should be admitted to their institution. This is the true sin of the past of our story and perhaps the original sin of this tale. McGonagall says he believed that magical learning should be kept within all magical families. In other words, pure bloods. Unable to sway the others, he decided to leave the school. But, according to legend, not before building his chamber of secrets hidden somewhere on the grounds. As to what lurks in the chamber, nobody knows. Megalian certainly won't say. The only monster in her mind is a is a, a three-team <laughs> teaser that she missed. Right, a team backdoor covering one. <laughs> bad beat. Yeah.
0: that <laughs> sunk her whole month. Yeah. During their debrief, Ron asks if Harry and Hermione think— Everything that McGonagall just shared with them, everything everyone's buzzing about is real. And Hermione's like, "Dude, yeah, can't you tell? Yeah. She's worried, all the teachers are." Well, okay, if the heir has returned, who could it be? Right. Ron has a theory. What about Draco Malfoy? It's Hermione's great guess. Dubious. She's not convinced. But Harry's kind of into this. He says, "Quote, look at his family. The whole lot of them have been in Slytherin for centuries." This is in part a judgment of Malfoy's character, Draco Malfoy's character, but it's also a commentary on the sins of the father. Malfoy's family's likely past, what Harry is presuming based on the prejudice that he and others hold against Slytherin House and the very real things that he has witnessed from Draco and his father, he's holding that against them now. But really, who can blame him or anyone else from thinking this based on what we've witnessed from Draco and Lucius? And Ron Float's The possibility that Crab and Goyle would probably know what's up. Hermione naturally has a plan. Let's brew some polyjuice potion. Let's pretend to be them. Let's go find out. And in the movie, she just goes right up to a shelf in the library and pulls most potent potions off of it because this extremely dangerous book is not in the restricted section. No safer place than Hogwarts. She tells him that it'll take a month to brew. Harry is horrified. But as Hermione notes, it's the only plan they've got.
1: After losing... Only all the bones in his right arm following Lockhart's ill-advised attempt to heal Harry's broken arm, the result of a Quidditch accident. Harry spends the night in the hospital wing, you know, regrowing his bones, normal thing that happens at Hogwarts, the safest place on earth. He wakes in the night, the voice again, piercing his ears, kill, kill, time to kill, sits up, and there's Dobby. Harry realizes that Dobby was responsible for the barrier ceiling at King's Cross and the rogue bludger that crushed his arm. Dobby is still trying to convince Harry to leave the school, to run, to flee, because he wants Harry out of harm's way. Why? The ghost in Dobby's past. He tells Harry that he remembers how it was before, during the Wizarding War, before Harry triumphed over Voldemort. Dobby says, we ourselves were treated like vermin. It's easy to think about Voldemort's demise through the Potter lens, what it meant just for Harry and for his parents. But remember, in Stone, Morning, Lily and James goes hand in hand with celebrating the fall of the Dark Lord. When Harry prevailed, an oppressive regime that was just rising, crumbled. Dobby hasn't forgotten that he can't risk losing a person he and others view as a champion of goodness, fairness, and equality.
0: And when Harry asks why Dobby is wearing this filthy pillowcase, Dobby says that it's a mark of his enslavement. Quote, Dobby can only be freed if his master presents him with clothes. Dobby then warns Harry one more time the terrible things are about to happen to the school. He says, Harry Potter must not stay here. Now that history is to repeat itself, repeat itself, Harry asks. You mean this has happened before? Harry grabs Dobby, roughly and rudely, might add, And asks, when has this happened before? Who's doing it now? But Dobby won't say. And then as he hears the sound of approaching people, he vanishes. But the questions that his two visits to Harry have raised linger. This is now a double mystery for Harry and Coda on for all. What happened before? What's happening now? Those things are clearly linked. And it's becoming increasingly pressing to figure this out because those sounds they heard, it's Colin Creevy's petrified form entering the hospital wing. And when Harry tells Ron and Hermione about all of this after he's healed and out of the infirmary, Ron speculates, based on Harry's chat with Dobby, that Lucius opened the chamber last time and Draco's doing it now. Can't shake this Malfoy-centric suspicion. This is also... A ghost of the past. Harry and Ron have never liked Draco Malfoy. He is mean to them. He is hateful to them. Of course, they're going to think that this is him. They're not even considering other possibilities. And here, still in the moment in the infirmary, Harry overhears Dumbledore and Megallion standing over Colin's smoking camera discussing what this means. And Dumbledore says, it means that our students are in great danger. So it's like a regular Tuesday at Hogwarts. And McGallion says, well, what should I tell the staff? And my bookie And then Dumbledore says the truth, that Hogwarts is no longer safe. Narrator, it never was. It's
1: as we feared, Minerva, the Chamber of Secrets has indeed been opened again. Well, if Hogwarts is no longer safe, what a tragedy that would be. There's only one thing to do. Hey, we got to learn to defend ourselves. Lockhart has started a dueling club. And at the very first meeting, he introduces his huge air quotes, assistant Severus Snape, after Snape, fucking owns Lockhart with Expelliarmus, thus introducing Harry Potter to his one true love. He suggests, quite wisely, I think, how about we teach the students how to block spells first? What do we think about that? And he suggests pairing Malfoy and Harry for a demonstration. Malfoy jumps the three count, rams Harry with a spell, Harry fires back, then Malfoy launches another spell, firing a serpent out of his wand. The serpent slithering towards Harry. Here comes Lockhart. I'm going to fix this. Points his wand at the snake, delivers his own spell, only all it does is throw the snake up into the air, making it angry. Harry instinctively says something to the snake and everyone stops, just freezes. Snape looks, it's really impossible to read the look. Is he scared? Is he disturbed? Is he slightly intrigued, interested in what has just happened? Justin Finch-Fletchley asks Harry, with some heat, what are you playing at? And the energy in the hall shifts from suspicion, intrigue, to raw fear at what they've just seen.
0: And Ron and Hermione are in a dizzy.
1: Why didn't you tell us you can talk
0: to snakes, yeah. bro? Hermione, in the movie, unlike in the book, is the one who gets to issue the it's not a very common gift line. Right. And she's clear. This is bad, Harry. Right. He's not really seeing why. Why is it such a big deal? I stopped the snake from attacking Justin, and Ron and Hermione are both like, oh, that's what he did? They tell him that it sounded like he was egging on the snake and that they couldn't tell what specifically he was doing because he was speaking a different language. And Harry's shocked. How can he speak a different language without realizing it? He knew that he had the ability to communicate with snakes, as he did at the zoo during Dudley's birthday and Sorcerer's Stone, but he never knew he could speak the language, parcel tongue, that he is a parcel mouth. And Hermione explains what the problem is here. Quote, Salazar Slytherin was a parcel mouth. He could talk to snakes too, Ron adds, exactly. Now the whole school's going to think you're his great-great-great-grandson or something. And Harry says, but I'm not, I can't be. Hermione notes, he lived a thousand years ago for all we know you could be. And how can Harry understand who he is if he doesn't know his own history? How can he run away from someone else's history when he has no idea whether it might be his own For many, the past offers clarity, lessons, guidance, caution. But for Harry, at this point, it's still largely a black box. It's a mystery
1: that's only slowly starting to come into focus. The snake incident isn't sitting well with the school. Harry's catching weird looks in the library. People are whispering about him, clearly concerned, scared to be in his presence. When he leaves one night, eager to escape the stairs, hears the voice again. They almost died. And whoops, Harry comes across the petrified bodies of Justin Finch, Fletchley, and well, not the body, but like the form of our good friend, Nearly Headless Nick. Filch just happens, huge castle again, people just wandering into the places (laughs) they need to be. Filch catches Harry in that moment. Here's the thing, Harry. People think you're Slytherin's heir. People think you're attacking people, freezing them on the murder prowl. Out in the castle, lurking in the dark. Don't stop at crime scenes and touch the bodies. It's a good note. Again, the circumstantial evidence, I get why everybody's thinking this. Because the circumstantial evidence is crazy pointing at my dude Harry Potter. Harry sees more spiders running from the crime scene in a single file and strangely marching in this weird line away from what's happened, which Harry, by the way, should have done. (laughs) Filch returns with McGonagall. She's horrified as well, looking from the bodies to Harry, gasping. Her bets (laughs) melting away from her mind, at least for the moment. This is out of my hands, Potter, she says, escorts him to Dumbledore's office.
0: Sherbet Lemon? Yes, While Harry is waiting in Dumbledore's office, he sees the sorting hat, and here it is, his chance to ask the hat, which assessed his character in the past Mm -hmm. without knowing him, without learning about him, made a read. It gazed inside of him, and it used its magic to assess the very essence of who he is, the very fiber of his being, and it wanted to put him in Slytherin house. Harry, like so many of us, wants reassurance that he's not the thing that he fears, that he's where he's supposed to be the hat does not give it to him. Quote, yes, you were particularly difficult to place, but I stand by what I said last year. You would have done well in Slytherin. Harry tells the hat that it's wrong, but he still can't shake the doubt. In Harry's past, the hat planted a Slytherin seed in his mind, and he hasn't been able to dig it out. The events that are currently playing out across the school, the accusing stares from his peers, they're not helping Harry move forward. They're exacerbating the uncertainty that's already taken root in his head and heart.
1: Dumbledore arrives just after his good buddy Fox bursts into flames and turns into a pile of ash. Professor, sir, your bird. Uh, uh, uh," This is actually a fun moment because Harry, already suspected by everyone in the castle for doing various things which he didn't do, is all of a sudden feels just guilty by association because Fox caught fire and turned into a pile of ash. It wasn't his fault. Oh, about time, too. He's been looking dreadful for days. Dumbledore briefly explains the magic of phoenixes and clarifies that he doesn't think Harry's the culprit of the attacks, that is. But he isn't ready to just let Harry walk away. I must ask you, is there something you wish to tell me? Harry shakes his head. No, sir, nothing. No, 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 no. So often in the past and future alike, the Harry-Dumbledore relationship has been defined by what information Dumbledore doesn't share in a given moment. Here, Harry is the one in a neat reversal, weighing the cost of what he can say. And why is that? It's not because he doesn't trust Dumbledore. In fact, you might argue that Dumbledore is the person he trusts in a way that's unlike anyone else, even his closest friends. It's because he doesn't trust himself Another. other Topic that Dumbledore, by the way, would understand quite a bit. He isn't sure about the most fundamental aspect of life, who he is. If he doesn't know himself, am I a Slytherin? Am I the heir of Slytherin? Do I belong in Gryffindor? How can he show himself to other people?
0: Well, time to go be a Slytherin for at least one hour. Yeah. Because the polyjuice is ready. Mmm, essence of toenail. Delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Harry and Ron have plucked their hairs out of Crab and Goyle, Malfoy's goons, who look, they're judging them for eating the baked goods with the sleeping potion inside.
1: And I just would like to say for the record that I would eat them too. They so look if, delicious. If just cupcakes like floating, just in, floating mid-air. in midair in a magical castle in the dark. You would just be like, you know what? This is fine. Here's the thing they came from the feast. Like they were coming from eating,
0: they were in the proximity of food. Stranger things have happened. Sure. Also, they're idiots, and food is
1: delicious.
0: (laughs) Hermione, something went wrong. takes us a little while to find out what. So Harry and Ron, as Crabbe and Goyle, set off on their own down toward the Slytherin common room. Malfoy proceeds to talk about the Weasley family. You'd never know the Weasleys were purebloods, the way they behave. They're an embarrassment to the wizarding world, all of them. The sins of the past in Malfoy's eyes are also the sins of the father, but this time, the sins of weakness. Toward Muggles, the lack of pure blood pride that Arthur and the Weasleys display. Malfoy and Ron feel the same way about each other
1: and their yes. families,
0: just for opposite reasons. Yes.
1: Eventually, Harry and Ron get to steer Draco to the point. It's the reason they took Polly in the first place. Who is the heir? What does Draco know about it? Who opened the chamber? You must have some idea who's behind it all, Harry asks. Draco. You know I don't, Coyle. I told you yesterday. How many times I have to tell you? Is this yours? My father did say this. It's been 50 years since the chamber was opened. He wouldn't tell me you opened it, only that they were expelled. Last time the chamber's secrets were opened, my blood died. So it's only a matter of time before one of them's killed this time. As for me, I was Granger. Draco's truly despicable, disgusting remarks dripping with bigotry are the direct result of the sins of the past, the sins of his father, Lucius, and his views. But also the sins of the far, far, far away past. These are the sins of Salazar Slytherin's bigoted ideas.
0: Hermione, who accidentally ingested a cat hair, and a girl, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> She's in the hospital wing, but Harry and Ron are still gallivanting about the castle, and naturally, they run into an area where something is amiss. This Once time. Once again! <laughs> If I
1: froze them by <laughs> Harry James Potter.
0: If I flooded them by burning <laughs> yeah, right. Myrtle. They notice water gushing out of Myrtle's bathroom and naturally they go to see what's up. She tells them she was in the U-bend thinking about death. Yeah, just you know, normal shit again. <laughs> when someone entered and threw a book through her head, Harry looks at this book and picks it up. It's a diary. We cut right to the common room, which Don't want to be hyperbolic, but is a cinematic tragedy. Yes, the part of the book where Harry is obsessing over the diary, harping on it, he can't stop thinking about it. It's pulling him.
1: That's so important. That's so important. That relationship with the book because it's an early signifier of his coming relationship with Voldemort.
0: Yes, and of course the Horcrux foreshadowing the piece of Voldemort inside of the diary and Harry alike, almost a magnetic pull between, in essence, brother shards of soul. The movie does not go there. Sucks. Tragedy. Anyway, so we cut right to the our common room where Harry is exploring the diary, and he sees the name Tom Marvolo Riddle on the cover. He drops ink onto a page and it vanishes, and then it reappears, forming a message from Tom Riddle. Oh, Oh, that's neat. Harry starts asking the diary questions about the chamber. Can you tell me? No. Ah, that's a dagger. Ooh, wait, wait. Give it that 10 seconds. You should have given Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. Weasley a King's Cross. <laughs> but I can show you. The diary sucks, Harry, into the memory of the night when Tom Riddle, even larger air quotes than we used before on assistant, caught Hagrid and his monster. We will learn over the course of the film that Riddle framed Hagrid. Yeah. Here, we watch him... Without that knowledge, we watch him looking at the body that we will come to learn is Myrtles being removed. What is he actually doing? He's admiring his handiwork. We see Riddle converse with extremely young, fresh, and vibrant Dumbledore, who <laughs> references Headmaster Tippett. Another victim of the film cuts. We do not actually see Dippet's conversation with Riddle. And then we see Dumbledore say to Tom, after Tom, who is an orphan, who doesn't want to leave Hogwarts, ask if the school could remain open if the culprit were caught. Dumbledore says, is there something you wish to tell me? And Tom says, no, sir, nothing. This happened 50 years ago. But it's also a ghost of the very recent past of Harry's exchange with Dumbledore. What? was Tom withholding from the professor in this case. Why? Could Hagrid have possibly played a role in the chamber's opening? Harry knows that Hagrid was expelled, but he had never found out why. Now, he's gaining information about Hagrid's past, but it doesn't remotely comport with what Harry understands and knows about Hagrid's character.
1: What other insights might Tom Riddle's diary contain? What clarity awaits in its secret pages? Aha! You'll never... Find out, Harry, because the diary is stolen from your room. Things are beginning to get stranger. Who took the diary from Harry? Why did they do it and what don't they want him to know? This relic of the past has information to share. And someone clearly fears what this ghostly memory might say. Hey, guys, at least there's Quidditch. Surely a refuge this time around with rogue bludgers and injury woes in the past. Alas, as Gryffindor is walking out to the pitch, here comes McGee announcing that the match has been canceled. Wood, you can't cancel Quidditch. What the? What do you mean, Wood? <laughs> Silence, Wood. This is such a flex. I Silence, love, Wood. I love this.
0: Silence, I need to concentrate yeah. on the Durmstrang <laughs> teaser scenarios. I'm now running in my head.
1: Now, you begin to see that Minerva McGonagall seems slightly disturbed. Potter, you and I will find Mr. Weasley, in my bookie. She takes him to the hospital <laughs> wing where <laughs> Hermione lays petrified. She was found by the library holding a mirror. What does this mean? The boys don't know. McGee goes to Gryffindor Tower to announce that unless the culprit behind these attacks is caught, it is likely the school will be closed. The school is caught in a loop, reliving happenings and statements and events from 50 years past. What will the outcome be this time? Remember, someone died last time. Will that happen again?
0: Harry tells Ron that, okay, No choice now. Got to go talk to Hagrid. He'll know how to get in the chamber at least, and that's a start. Harry, what? You really think he knows how to get in the chamber? What are you doing, my guy? Well, how are they going to get down there? All these new restrictions in place? Ah, it's invisibility cloak time. When they arrive at Hagrid's, he has a crossbow in his hands and is acting legit weird. They ask if he knows who's opening the chamber, and just as he's about to answer, there's a knock on the door. Ron and Harry hide under the cloak. It's Dumbledore and Cornelius Fudge the minister of magic. Fudge says things have gone far enough. The ministry's got to act. And Dumbledore says Hagrid has his full confidence. Fudge cites the ghosts in Hagrid's past. Quote, Hagrid's record is against him. I've got to take him. Okay, so what Harry saw in Riddle's diary doesn't just exist there. Other people know about it. That doesn't make it true, but it does make it real. It means it's a thing that's out there in the world. It's information
1: that other people have. And can use? Lucius enters, hands Dumbledore an order of suspension from the school's governors. I'm afraid we feel you've rather lost your touch. Hagrid says that with Dumbledore gone, there'll be killings next. (laughs) Dumbledore maintains his composure. Always, by the way. Quieting Hagrid and then unambiguously looking where Harry and Ron sit. Looking right where they are. Dipping his chin so that his eyes come over the top of those half-moon glasses. You will find that help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. Lucius, Admiral sentiment. <laughs> Shall we? As they're leaving, Hagrid says, in a wonderfully different kind of hint at the boys under the invisibility cloak, if anybody was looking for some stuff, then all they'd have to do would be to follow the spiders. What's happening here? Though Harry wound up facing Quirrell alone last year, his past experience at Hogwarts has ingrained a certain belief in him. Dumbledore will always be there when you need him. Hagrid will always be there. And their presence means safety. There's someone else looking out for them. This is a notion that Harry will force himself to shed at great cost over the course of the series. Great cost. Tragic cost. But here, now, it and Ron and Hermione are all he has. They need to find out more.
0: Better follow the spiders, then. Yes. Outside of Hagrid's hut, Harry and Ron take Hagrid's advice and do just that. Into the Forbidden Forest they go, and there they encounter Aragog, Hagrid's old pet. Fifty years later, he's much bigger and scarier and not that into humans other than Hagrid, it turns out. The forest. This is a theme that we will continue to return to because J.K.R. deploys this expertly as a literary device. The forest is a repository for hidden and forgotten things for mistakes, for deliberate plots, for sins. And Aragog is some mixture of all of that. Harry gets to the point. They don't want to be there.
1: You're surrounded by (laughs) giant spiders. (laughs) Ron
0: Ron is distressed. And Harry tells Aragog that Hagrid is in trouble, that he is suspected of opening the chamber like before. Aragog
1: croaks. That's a lie. He never opened the Chamber of Secrets.
0: Harry responds, that means you're not the monster. And Aragog tells Harry and Ron, no, no, I'm not. But clearly he knows what is dwelling in the castle. He's not going to speak of it, though. It's a creature that Aragog and his kin fear above all others. That's why the spiders have been fleeing the castle and its grounds for the safety, the refuge of the forest. Ron looks up. They see they are surrounded by legions of these beasts and... On the brink of death, they are rescued by the Ford Anglia. Helpful. Great assist from this car that they shredded. When they escape to safety, Ron is furious and asks what the point of all that was. And Harry says they did learn one thing. One bit of clarity from a past lie, a past deception. Hagrid was innocent. He never committed the crime that got him expelled that landed him in Azkaban.
1: Harry and Ron go to the hospital wing to visit Hermione. Hey, what's that in Hermione's hand? By the way, I think it's because Harry's glasses are strong and very good, that he's the only one that notices this? I think it's because the
0: filmmakers made a couple Harry and Hermione sharing intimate moment mistakes
1: that confused shippers worldwide for many years. Da, da da It's a page from a library book about the basilisk, a snake of gigantic proportions which can live for hundreds of years and kill with a glance. Spiders flee before it is part of the words on the page. This. This thing is what's been waiting in the chamber. This is what's been roaming the school and attacking students at the command of Slytherin's heir. And that's why only Harry can hear it. It's a snake, and Harry speaks Parseltongue. Why didn't the basilisk's gaze kill its victims? Harry puts it all together. Mrs. Norris survived because she saw the basilisk's reflection in a puddle of water. Colin because he was looking through his camera. Justin because he was looking through nearly headless Nick. And Nick, of course, is already dead, so it doesn't matter. And Hermione who clearly puzzled out what was happening just before she was set upon, saw the beast in her mirror. Okay, but how do we find this chamber of secrets? Where's the entrance? Hermione figured that out, too. Pipes is written in her hand on the page.
0: What a legend, truly. True legend. Just as Harry and Ron are riding high on the weave of this revelation, McGallion's voice magically magnified, alerts all students that they're to go back to their dormitories immediately. Teachers? Head to the scary notice board where people can scrawl messages in blood. She tells her fellow teachers that a student has been taken into the chamber and says, quote, I'm afraid this is the end of Hogwarts. History, as Dobby warned, appears poised to repeat itself. After the teachers rid themselves of Lockhart, who naturally showed up late and ready to boast. Hello. <laughs> what did I miss? They tell him, Hey. Your moment has arrived. It's your time to save the day. Just do it somewhere where we don't have to look at your curly hair and your pearly white teeth. McGonagall reveals that Ginny, Ginny Weasley, is the one who was taken. Ron croaks out his sister's name, and as the camera pans, we see the message on the wall.
1: Her skeleton will lie in the chamber forever. Aha! They run to Lockhart's office to tell him what they know. Sure! This guy's a total asshat. Fucking shyster. A con man. But if he's going to go into the chamber, maybe the things that they know can help. Poor sweet summer children Lockhart, <laughs> of course, is packing like 15 huge steamer trunks and he's getting out of town. His only intention ever is to boast, to gloat, to rise by scaling the shoulders of other people, crushing them beneath the weight of his own ambition. He tells Harry and Ron that he didn't do any of the stuff in his books, but that he does, in fact, possess... One money skill. He's really great at memory charms, this guy. So say goodbye to your memories, boys. Naturally, Lockhart is too slow on the draw. Harry and Ron have their wands out before he can even spin around. They lead Lockhart to Myrtle's, where they ask her about how she died. She tells them about crying in a bathroom stall after Olive's bullying and about hearing a strange voice, a boy's voice, and about seeing a pair of great- yellow eyes. Harry goes to the spot Myrtle indicated and sees a serpent engraved on the side of a sink tap. He speaks in Parseltongue and the passage opens a pipe, just as Hermione deduced, leading them down, 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 down to their goal. But what are they sliding into? What is that goal right now? It's the darkness.
0: It's the unknown. It's the horrors of the past ready to rear themselves back into the present. Down below, they see this massive skin of a snake, and they start to understand. It starts to crystallize for them. This is what awaits, the thing that shed this. And Lockhart makes his move. He pretends to collapse, and he steals Ron's wand and turns it upon the boys. Maybe if he'd been a more attentive teacher all year, he would have noticed that one of his students had been using a faulty wand all year. Alas! The item that has plagued Ron's past school year comes to his defense, backfires on Lockhart. <laughs> it's pretty great. As he issues his memory charm and the tunnel caves in, it puts Lockhart and Ron on one side, Harry on the other. What choice does Harry have but to go on? There's the practical, time sensitive concern of trying to save Ginny if there's any hope left. And then there is the macro concern this is who Harry is. Yeah. This is what he believes in, this is what drives him every day. He's a hero. He must try to save the day. Everything so far in his life as a wizard has forged this desire in him to try to save, to try to
1: protect. Harry enters the chamber and he sees Ginny crumpled at the feet of a massive statue. Harry drops his wand and runs to her. Fuzzy Riddle emerges from the corner. She won't wake. Harry's like, hey, My good buddy, Tom, help me with this. And he is extremely slow to realize that he has been catfished by Riddle. Riddle is bad. Guys, I think it's because Harry has been found in the presence of bodies while being innocent so many times that when he finds someone who he thinks is his friend in the presence of a body, he's just like, oh, my God, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Tom! We must go for help. (laughs) He asks if Tom is a ghost. Riddle says no. A memory preserved in a diary for 50 years. Riddle takes Harry's wand and begins to explain. As poor Ginny grows weaker, I grow stronger. Yes, Harry. It was Ginny Weasley who opened the Chamber of Secrets. And as he explains what transpired, we get these glimpses. Why, Harry asks. Because I told her to, Riddle answers. You'll find I can be very persuasive. He says that Ginny was in a kind of trance, but that she grew afraid and tried to get rid of the diary, understanding in some form or fashion what was happening to her. And who should find it but you, the very person I was most anxious to meet. And why were you anxious to meet me? I knew I had to talk to you, meet you if I could, so I decided to show you my capture of that brainless oaf, Hagrid, Rude. to gain your trust. Only Dumbledore, recall, believed Hagrid, He certainly kept an annoyingly close watch on me after that. Tom explains that knowing it wouldn't be safe to continue his mission, he preserved his 16-year-old self in the diary so that, quote, one day I might be able to lead another to finish Salazar Slytherin's noble work. Harry tells him, you've failed. The mandrake is going to be ready soon. Everyone paralyzed will be back and good as new. Bad news. Riddle's like, I don't give a shit. Haven't I told you? Killing mudbloods doesn't matter to me anymore. For many months now, my new target has been you. Mm. How is it that a baby with no extraordinary magical talent was able to defeat the greatest wizard of all time? How did you escape? With nothing but a scar while Lord Voldemort's powers were destroyed. Harry's like, why do you care? Voldemort was after your time. Aha, Riddle. In a line straight from the book that is chilling in no matter the form. Voldemort is my past, present, and future. And he draws the name in the air. The letters rearrange, spelling, I am Lord Voldemort. You, Harry says, you're the
0: heir of Slytherin, you're Voldemort. The person who altered Harry's entire past, who's still looming over his present, And who will define so much about his future is standing before him right now. The person who became Harry's main ghost and who turned Harry's parents into mere memories, memories of a different sort certainly, is talking to him in this moment. Harry is standing there facing his family's murderer, his would-be murderer, and he does not back down Riddle goes on. Surely you didn't think I was going to keep my filthy muggle father's name. No, I fashioned myself a new name. A name I knew wizards everywhere would one day fear to speak when I became the greatest sorcerer in the world. Harry protests. Albus Dumbledore has the top spot on the sorcerer power rankings, my guy. Riddle notes, Dumbledore's been driven out of this castle by the mere memory of I love me. that line. It's great. It's, it's a, one of the great lines in this book. So true. Yeah. <laughs> it is great. And Harry... Continues to stand his ground. He says he'll never be gone, not as long as those who remain are loyal to him. And right at that moment, called there by the loyalty that Harry is showing to Dumbledore, Fox's owner, Fox arrives and drops the sorting hat by Harry. Riddle is dismissive, mocking. This is, again, a theme of our discussion. This is consistently his fatal flaw, his hubris. It blinds him to the potential power of anything or anyone that he thinks unworthy. And it's often to his peril. So this is what Dumbledore sends his great defender, he says. A songbird in an old hat. He summons the basilisk at long last. Let's match the power of Lord Voldemort, heir of Salazar Slytherin, against the famous
1: Harry Potter. The snake emerges and Harry flees. It is about to kill him when Fox flies in to the rescue and claws out the basilisk's eyes, thus robbing it of its deadliest weapon, its gaze. Harry redirects it by throwing a rock at it, and the basilisk is clearly stupid, not a smart creature. The monster of Slytherin is tricked by a rock making a sound that, I guess, sounds—you think that that's a person? (laughs) Harry runs back to Ginny. She's near death. Riddle says, I will cease to be a memory. Lord Voldemort will return very much alive. The basilisk reemerges from the water, and Harry, in desperation, does something— better than he does in the book, looks at the hat, and he picks it up. It doesn't just get sweeped into his hands. A sword appears. He grabs it, climbs the statue, flailing at the snake with the sword. It slips from his hand. He reaches, just as it's about to clatter into the water, he picks it up, thrusts it into the roof of the snake's mouth, but he's stabbed in the arm by the thing. Here comes Riddle to dance upon Harry's quickly deepening grave, you'll be with your dear mudblood mother soon, Harry. (laughs) Funny the damage a silly little book can do, especially in the hands of a silly little girl. And this line, by the way, again, I do think it's notable that after being criticized for the effect that her book had on young readers, the nefarious effect, the charge was from her critics, that there's all these lines about the danger of this book. Funny what a damage a silly little book can do, especially in the hands of a silly little girl. It's. And no
0: accident, surely. Quite that weighty. Who is the one wielding that yes. silly book to do harm? The villain, it's not the heroes. Quite a weighty line. Aligning that, assigning that to. The bad guy to the person who couldn't understand love, who couldn't understand goodness, is just a brilliant choice on her part.
1: Harry grabs the funny little book and stabs it with the basilisk fang he removed from his arm and ink spurts out. Riddle begins to cry out in pain. This bodiless memory, screaming, he begins to writhe and unform. Harry doesn't know it at this moment, but he just destroyed the first horcrux. More than that, he's uncovered evidence, which Dumbledore will put together of how Voldemort plans to return to life. In this story, the sins of the past are, in a large sense, owned by Dumbledore. He knows more of what's happening than anyone except for maybe Voldemort himself. Surely more than anyone fully alive. And all these years after the first opening of the chamber, after the first Wizarding War, the war that took the lives of Harry's parents, the fallout from the decisions Dumbledore made for himself and for others, often without their knowledge, like Voldemort, live on in the shadows. Shouldn't those past lessons be shared? Why does Dumbledore keep such information to himself? Alone with Harry in his office after everything has happened, Dumbledore thanks Harry for the loyalty he showed him in the chamber. Nothing but that could have called Fox to you, he says. Then, showing real sensitivity here, he asks Harry, what's troubling you, Harry says. I couldn't help but notice certain things, certain similarities between Tom Riddle and me, and Dumbledore reassures him that Listen, your talent for Parseltongue, simply a result of Voldemort's attempt on your life. Some of the Dark Lord's powers must have transferred to you. No big deal, Harry. Just some of Voldemort inside you, so don't worry. Amazing how quickly this moment passes in the movie. It's
0: great. Compared it's to the book. Yes. Where... One of the true joys of rereading the series is harping on this particular discussion point this passage yeah. and seeing how the wheels are turning, how the puzzle pieces are clicking into place in Dumbledore's mind, what he is realizing about Voldemort's mission and ambition and the truth of what is inside Harry.
1: Harry then blurts out his fear that, well, doesn't this mean the sorting hat is right, that I actually do belong in Slytherin? And Dumbledore then teaches Harry the lesson that is quite possibly the central theme of this whole book, that... It is our choices that define us, not our blood, not the sins of the past, but the things we do in the here and now. Finally, if that's not enough to settle Harry's worried mind, here's some concrete evidence, my guy. You pulled the sword of Godric Gryffindor out of the hat. It would take a true Gryffindor, Dumbledore says, to pull that out of a hat.
0: And, of course, that sword is coming back in a big way, now imbibed with the basilisk venom, Horcrux Slayer. Bum,
1: bum, bum, bum.
0: Dumbledore and Harry's conversation is interrupted by Lucius Malfoy, who is distressed to discover that the headmaster has returned and is reinstated. Malfoy asks if the perpetrator of the attacks has been caught. Trying to download a lot of information right. here very quickly, and most of it boils down to, am I about to wind up in jail? You can right. see it playing across his face. What do they know? It was Voldemort, Dumbledore tells Malfoy, giving him a very knowing look. He was acting through this diary. Dumbledore says, fortunately, our young Mr. Potter discovered it. One hopes that no more of Lord Voldemort's old school things find their way into innocent hands. He's literally saying one hopes that the ghosts of the past do not become problems in the present, in the future anymore. And Malfoy, he shook. He got, Come, Dobby. <laughs> he summons Dobby, <laughs> turns to leave. He literally kicks Dobby. Brutal horrible, abusive, disgraceful behavior, and Harry can't abide it. He can't. This enrages Harry. He hates little more than those who abuse their power, who abuse their position to prey on the weak. And look, is Harry thrilled with all of Dobby's methods? No, but he knows that he was well-intentioned, that he's good-hearted, and that he is trapped
1: in misery and despair. What follows is perhaps the most purely selfless act of goodness Portrayed in the story, film and book version, and among the most impactful decisions that Harry will make. Other stuff that Harry does, of course, he sacrifices himself, is willing to sacrifice his life, but he's doing that because there's a war on. He wants to save his friends. It's selfless, but it's also selfish in a way. He doesn't have to try and free Dobby. There's no reason to do it at this point. There's no payoff, actually. You know, there's seemingly no payoff. He takes a diary, places one of his socks inside of it follows Lucius and Dobby out into the hall, and he confronts Malfoy, handing him the diary. He knows that Lucius slipped the book into Ginny's possession, and he tells himself Malfoy denies it. Prove it! Malfoy hands the book to Dobby, mindlessly. The elf opens it, at Harry's behest. Receiving clothing now from the hand of his master. Thus emancipated, Dobby refuses to follow Lucius. Master has given Dobby a suck. Enraged! And this is truly an insane moment in these films.
0: This is unbelievable.
1: Enraged! Lucius marches forward, wand out, reels his wand hand back, and begins to mouth the words of the killing curse, Avara! And Dobby blasts his former master across the hallway. Lucius Malfoy was about to murder Harry Potter In the school, 10 feet from Dumbledore's office. Imagine spending as
0: much time and money and political power as Lucius Malfoy spent staying out of Azkaban after Voldemort fell. And then being like, I'll just murder the Chosen One in broad daylight in the middle of Hogwarts.
1: In the middle of Hogwarts while Dumbledore sits in his chair 20 feet away. Come on. Later on in our story, Harry's freeing of Dahlia will become something like the reverse of a sin of the past. A virtue given freely, which will pay great rewards in the present.
0: Gather round, gather round. Yes. Can everyone see me? Can you all hear me? Good. Because it's time for your headmaster to toss the invisibility cloak over our heads. Mm. Lead us into the restricted section. to Teach us what we need to know about the man who brought Gilderoy Lockhart to life and who Gilderoy Lockhart may have actually been in real life.
1: You're so vain. I bet you think this spell is about you, Gilderoy. (laughs) Kenneth Branagh was only 28 years old when his directorial debut, Henry V., film adaption of the play by William Shakespeare, hit theaters in nineteen eighty-nine. Brana also starred as the titular king. But by then, the native of Belfast was already a major figure on the English stage, credited with imbuing the bard's work with pluck and vitality and energy and making them accessible to a brand new generation of fans. He burst onto the scene with the Royal Shakespeare Company in 1984, playing, as it happened, an impetuous young Henry V. In 1987, at age 26, he co-founded the Renaissance Touring Company and quickly amassed next Olivier plaudits. Though his highbrow beginning suggested he would work on projects of a certain quality, Brenna, displaying, it must be said, a touch of the Lockhart ambition, Mm. had no notions of cloistering his craft in theaters for the well-heeled. He, to put it bluntly, wouldn't mind being famous. I want to do things for a mass audience that would also make people think, he said early in his career. I'm anti these barriers of high and low culture. I tend not to underestimate an audience. Mm. Give me that cash.
0: I tend not to underestimate how many people like looking at my handsome face.
1: Also, handsome, aside, cheated on his wife, Emma Thompson, with Helena Bonham Carter, soon to be Bellatrix Lestrange.
0: Now I feel bad Canada for Brana. just being like, he's so handsome. He is handsome.
1: <laughs> Brano went high and low, both as an actor and director over the course of the next decade. Some of his films from that period include The Raymond Chandler-esque horror thriller Dead Again in 1991, a return to the works of the Bard with Much Ado About Nothing in 1993, and a run at a gothic classic with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in 1994, starring Robert De Niro. Back to Billy Shakes with Othello in 1995 and the Oscar-nominated Hamlet in 1996. Guess who he played? Hamlet. Then he He played a Georgia lawyer in The Gingerbread Man, directed by Robert Altman in 1998 Mm. and starred with Will Smith in Wild Wild West, wiki wiki wild, in 1999. Then came Chamber of Secrets in the foppish, shyster, Gilderoy Lockhart in 2002. Among the other actors considered for the part of Lockhart were Hugh Grant and Alan Cumming, but probably the most interesting name here is Jude Law, who is rumored to have been considered for the part, but ultimately deemed too young. Thank God. Why? Young Dumbledore. Yeah, that's true. Although, like, there is something to be said for, like, a young, hot Lockhart.
0: I know, but I have to assume that Jude Law is going to be in, like, literally four Fantastic Beasts movies, yeah, right?
1: Branna, funnily enough, was also in the mix to direct Prisoner of Azkaban, the next movie in the series. But the movie was eventually given to Alfonso Cuarón. The vain and odious, fame-obsessed Lockhart holds a special place in Potter Laura because he's one of the few of Rowling's characters who is based on a real person. I have to say that the living model was worse, Rowling said at the Edinburgh Book Festival in 2004. He was a shocker. The lies that he told about adventures that he'd had, things that he'd done, and impressive acts that he'd committed, I can say this quite freely because he will never in a million years dream that he is Gilderoy Lockhart. Who is this mystery man? Some speculated that he could be Rowling's ex-husband to whom she was briefly married to from October 1992 to 1993. The author obliviated this theory in 2011, (laughs) saying Lockhart was based on a former roommate. Who is he? We may never know. As for Branna. Though he hoped to continue in the role, his tenure in the Wizarding World came to an end after Chamber of Secrets Lockhart makes a brief reappearance in the Order of the Phoenix book, blithering around a dim and dreary ward at St. Mungo's Hospital for magical maladies and injuries. But, alas, the golden locked former celebrity didn't make the transition to the film adaption, the release of the Deathly Hallows book, dashed Branna's hopes for good. I think everybody who had been in one of the movies was keeping their fingers crossed when that seventh book came out, said Branna. Am I Harry's dad? Could I be Harry's dad? I felt like writing a note to J.K. to say, Have you ever considered this as a plot line? That's a bad idea, my guy. Oh, my God. That is also the most Lockhart thing that Kenneth Branagh has actually ever said. (laughs) I felt like writing a note to J.K. to say, Have you ever considered me as Harry's father? (laughs) Just rewrite the whole series.
0: Oh, my God. Incredible. Sorry, my
1: guy. Mal, why are you wearing glasses? Reading. Reading? I didn't know you could read. In that case, let's split our nuggets, if not our souls, by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from the film, because seven remains the most powerfully magic number. I will go first. Number one, as with Sorcerer's Stone, we wanted to start with one book omission or change that we both miss dearly, that we can't shake. I will pick the Death Day Party. Nearly Headless Nick's Death Day Party. Party that gives us a window into the afterlife of a ghost, their hopes, their fears. There'll be a callback to this moment later on in the books that is absolutely heartbreaking. And also, just the fact that this death day party takes place on the same day that Harry's parents died. It's a really, really touching moment. It's beautiful. So many choices here from the missing diary harping
0: that we discussed earlier, to the death day party that you just mentioned, the Malfoy exchange in Nocturnality that gets cut, Filch's entire squib plot. But my choice is the absence of the discussion between Tom Riddle and Harry about Lily's sacrifice. When Tom asks, how is it that a baby with no extraordinary magical talent was able to defeat the greatest wizard of all time? You'd like to see the film answer that. (laughs) It's so fundamental to understanding how Voldemort thinks, what he values, what he dismisses. It's also so fundamental to us understanding the power that love plays in this story and the power that choice plays. Robbing us of this exchange also robs us of our ability to better understand how each character weighs those factors. How do you cut that? It's crazy. Yeah. Number two. This movie is a meme generator. Some good ones. Though. It is amazing how many memes came from this film. We have, of course, the legendary, one of your personal favorites, Ginny retreating, eyes as wide as Dobby's, from the kitchen after Harry says hello to her. There is Ron's terrified face when they realize that the train is approaching the Ford Anglia from behind. There is Harry's... Slow motion diary retreat and Hagrid shout as he's leaving the diary. There is Riddle's disintegration. Yes. Fox flying them out of the chamber with Lockhart smiling. And of course, the iconically cheesy clapping for Hagrid at the end.
1: It's a great McGonagall, McGallion moment. So many memes. Number three, Eddie Redmayne, a.k.a. Newt Scamander, unsuccessfully auditioned for the role of Riddle. And he says he didn't even get a callback. was honestly wow. too blonde. Wow. We needed some darker haired guys. I I agree with this because Eddie Redmayne would go on to have a fine career. Don't worry. They can make a basilisk,
0: but they can't dye his hair. Yeah. I mean, no complaints about the Tom Riddle they cast. Yeah. Great looking young man. That's right. Number four, in a 2002 interview, Rupert Grant was asked his favorite scene to shoot. And his response was perhaps a bit of a stunner. Quote, my favorite scene was the slug scene. I loved doing that scene because I had all this different flavored slug slime. There was chocolate, peppermint, orange,
1: lemon. Disgusting. And it made them taste really nice. Number five. This is bizarrely (laughs) the longest film in the series. Bizarrely. Shocking. It's also the last one directed by Christopher Columbus of Gremlins fame, of Goonies fame. And thus the last one, which his daughter, Eleanor, plays the role of Susan Bones. Sorry,
0: Eleanor. Number six, an amazing little nugget here about our main dude, Fox. Fox, when he's in flight in the film, is CGI. But the fox in Dumbledore's office is animatronic. Little snippet here from Harry Potter page to screen, the complete filmmaking journey. Creature effects supervisor Nick Dudman, quote, recalls the highest compliment he and his department received for their model of fox. Richard Harris came over to me and my chief fox operator, Chris Barton, at one point and told us how amazed he was by how well the bird was trained. I told Richard that Fox was, in essence, a puppet, but he wouldn't believe me. So I pressed a control button, bringing Fox to life. Richard was absolutely gobsmacked. I don't think I could have received higher praise. That's amazing. I love that. Fox is real to all of
1: us, so we understand. Number seven, many have noted the similarities between parts of the score for Chamber of Secrets and the score of Attack of the Clones. Films came out in the same year and both were scored by the great John Williams. Listen, if the guy wants to mildly plagiarize himself, no one has more earned the right to do so. Jason? Yes?
0: You will find that help will always be given a binge mode to those who ask for it. But we don't need any help identifying today's champion. Every it's episode. Very easy. We're going to honor the person or creature that compelled us the most. And today we're dishing out some last minute points and awarding the House Cup to Harry James Potter.
1: Listen, he stops Voldemort again, Big. saves his future wife Ginny, Big figures out the whole basilisk thing and how the basilisk froze all its victims, shows loyalty to Dumbledore such that he's able to call Fox to him.
0: Look, he needs help. You know, he gets help from Fox to stay alive. He got help from Hermione in piecing together the basilisk mystery. But we should note less help than he needs in the book when he is literally okay. screaming aloud multiple times, someone help me. He also frees Dobby, a massive moment, both in terms of plot implications and emotional stakes. He beats Malfoy head-to-head in a Quidditch duel, despite the handicap of being terrorized by a rogue bludger and Tough. of Malfoy's entire team having Malfoy's better Malfoy's is brooms. not good. You know, long-term, Harry goes a long way in this film toward getting to know the Weasley family better, and that's obviously a big deal in terms of how he comes to view the Burrow as a home and the Weasleys as his family. Shouts to Harry. Shouts to him. He didn't die. Great stuff. Major assist from Fox. Well, friends, our sons and daughters do not harm our indispensable producer and researcher, Isaac Lee and Zach Cram on our command. But we cannot deny them fresh meat when it wanders so willingly into our midst. Eat (laughs) them! We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you were as excited as we are for the rest of this journey, and that you'll join us again on Monday, July 2nd for our second HP Extra, this one on the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, And then join us again on Monday, July 9th, when we will be beginning our Prisoner of Azkaban deep dive. Phenomenal. We are excited to talk about POA.
1: That's the book where the series goes from very good to great. Bring me Remus Lupin now. Until then,
0: remember, if you die down there, you're welcome to share our toilet.
1: Headmaster Dumbledore. Yes, Harry? Why was Lucius Malfoy never in Azkaban? He was a Death Eater, was he not? Yes. He just literally tried to kill me. You're surely uh, being hyperbolic, young man. No, I mean, he really, like, he pointed his wand at me, and he was saying the killing curse. (laughs) No, clearly, clearly that cannot be. I'm telling you, he... Reeled back like he was going to throw a pitch, and then he pointed his wand at me and was saying "avara." And then Dobby stepped up and he saved my life. Are you sure this guy should be out? It's fine, it's fine. He was, he was, imperiod, and so thus he, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. Are you sure? (laughs) Yes. Okay.